You're listening to Create Wealth Through Franchising, and I'm your host, Kim Daly. In my 20 years as a franchise consultant, I've helped hundreds of people achieve their dreams of building and scaling franchise businesses to create wealth. The interview you're about to hear can also be found on my YouTube channel, where I post new franchising content multiple times per week. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and to my YouTube channel at kimdaily.tv. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Kim Daily TV. My special guest for us today, his name is Kelsey Stewart, and he is the CEO of a franchise called Bloomin' Blinds. Kelsey, welcome to Kim Daily TV. Thank you, Kim. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here because blinds, that is the number one choice that every single candidate I work with is asking me for. (laughs) Such a hot topic. It's amazing. (laughs) And in fact, we're going to begin this conversation in a really funny place um, because just a couple of days ago, I have a candidate that I'm working with who we went through the whole consultation process. And at the end, he ended up emailing me and he was like, hey, Kim, I forgot to tell you, I really want something that's recession resistant. Like my buddy, he just bought a blind business. And I'm not really sure that that was a good choice for the economy we're going into. So keep that in mind. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Jeff, I love that email. We have so much to learn together. Stay open. So Kelsey Stewart, tell us a little bit about Bloomin' Blinds, how and when your company got started, not the franchise, but the company, because that's going to help address that very topic of recession resistance in the blind industry. Right. So we are the epitome of a family business. Bloom and Blinds was started by my mom, and it was meant initially to be a one-woman show. Um, and kind of to your, to your question, the company was formed on the day of 9-11. We were one of the few pieces of paperwork that made it through the office before they shut it down. Um, so that, that 9-11. Um, and, and then we had to grow up in that economic wake that came after it. Um, but it, it, we are a small family business that realized that we had something unique and, and a, a major differentiator. And uh, it was either grow company scores and fracture a family business and send brothers in every direction, or it was franchise it and use our skills to teach other people how to do it across the U.S. I love it. So for all of my followers out there listening to this, so you ask me about starting a business in uncertain times. Here's a franchise that started on 9-11-2001. So in that 21 period years of years, right, you've gone through 9-11 because that did not get cleaned up overnight and that their wake of all of that, you know, took years for people to kind of recover from if if we've even recovered. Then we have um, a recession in 2008 and, 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 you know, a very fun time in the building industry and the housing, real estate market and in the stock market. And then we had a pandemic (laughs) in in 2020 and here you are to tell the tale. So like, how or why is your industry resilient to all of this that you've been growing your franchise brand through all of that? Yeah, well, so you have the industry component and then you have the bloom and blinds differentiation. So window coverings in general is a fairly resilient place, right? Look at a building and the windows are covered. 
if you go into a neighborhood and the windows aren't covered, that's going to make the 4th of July picnic a little awkward, <laughs> right? So it's kind of one of those things that we all need. Um, and so the window covering industry has, has remained strong. There's ebbs and flows in volume as money goes up and down. The truth is you have a very cheap alternative in pinning a sheet to the wall. Like we are, uh, you know, a luxury choice. We are um, disposable income driven. Yes, but let me say this, that really nice blinds have such a dramatic effect on the entire room, right? Like, I mean, I have those handsome shutters in my bathroom and people come out of my bathroom and compliment me in their half shutter because it's faces my backyard, my hot tub, which would be very awkward, Kelsey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so people come out and say, wow, I love the shutters in there. So imagine if I had a sheet, not so much. <laughs> I, I agree, but but I don't want to overemphasize our place because we're not we're not food, we're not shelter, we're not kids' medication. Those things are okay, going to we're win, not essential, right? So, kind of getting back to that recession thing, when money tightens up, you know, there is an ebb and flow to the volume in the window covering industry. So, I'll give you a great example. So, 2007, we're still a family business, hadn't, hadn't formed the franchise yet, and we were 90% sales and 10% repair revenue. Right. So this is a differentiator that I'm referring to is we can fix blinds and shades and shutters, even if we didn't put them in. Like we have mobile vans equipped and trained. We show up, we fix it, we leave. And even if we didn't sell it. So the, the shift from 2007 to 2008, we were 90% sales, 10% repair revenue. 2008 and nine, we were nearly 50-50. 50% sales, 50% repair revenue because the buyer's disposable income and their mentality shifted from throw it away, get another one to let me maintain and keep what I have. As you begin to develop your business, your repeat and referral customer base tends to be about 40% of your revenue every single month. And so after a while, it just kind of falls in your lap. Like if they just keep coming back and they tell their friends and there's not a lot of reliable resources. And so if you have a referral in the window covering industry, like you're going to take that referral, like who's got a favorite blind company as you grow and more people love you and know your name, then it just feeds itself. It becomes a self-fulfilling mechanism. You just have to stick through those first couple of years to build that base. And are your franchisees using social media to help feed this referral basis or create this referral business? We are getting much better at it. I have one franchise owner in particular who is leading the charge for us. And, and I got to give him credit. He's in Birmingham, Alabama. Mark Tant, love this boy. But he has, he'll be in business. Uh, it'll be his third year. He'll do a little bit over $2 million this year. But he's only spending $1,100 a month in marketing. But he's been able to do it through loyal followers who are truly happy with his communication and his experience, but a massive social media presence. And he has figured out how to tell a story. It's, it's like a art gallery on Instagram. And he uses that to, to help people daydream about what their house could look like. And he's able to draw leads and business through social media where generally window coverings is not done well with social media because most of us stand four feet from the window and we take a picture of a brown blind and wonder why you don't like and comment. So we are now taking the skill set that he has built on his own and he's freely giving it back to the franchise. He's got a heart of a teacher like we do. And so we're doing a multi-series networking group or a workshop, if you will. And we're teaching franchise owners to do this for themselves. And then I've got an ad out right now for a internal social media manager who's going to then do it 
for all the franchisees and they don't have to pay for it. It's coming out of national marketing money. So one franchisee dares to try something, is so successful, and is kind enough to give it back to his fellow franchisees? Isn't he competing against those people, Kelsey? Why does he want to share? Well, we're all <laughs> that, that's in the mind of yeah, a candidate. <laughs> well, it's, we have protected territory. So from a compete competition standpoint, that's not the case. But he has the right mentality that as the franchise is stronger, then his business is stronger. And it's an all for one. We're all rowing in the same direction. We're all in the family. You know, family's a big thing in this brand. And and he's adopted that with all of his heart. And so if he can help one other family do a little bit better, or he can help one franchise owner bring in 20% more revenue, like that makes his day. Hey, Daily Coach fans, if this franchise sounds like a fit for you, I would love to be your Daily Coach. Email me right now for a totally free consultation at inquire at kimdaily.tv. I mean, it drives home the point that when you when you invest in a franchise, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. This is like collaborative. And I'm just joking when I ask the question, because I think a lot of times people who've been in corporate America, it's a very different feeling in corporate America. I never worked there, but my candidates tell me, you know, and they're kind of shocked or taken aback when they're like, wait, even before I become a franchise owner, those people are going to spend time talking to me? sharing their experience with me. I'm like, yeah, that's a big part of what we do in franchising. And then and then after you go to training, I mean, like you're going to you're going to learn the fundamentals of your business from the franchisor, but in my experience, you sort of master the art of your business by sharing and learning from other franchisees, right? Yeah. Rising tides raise all ships. So if we can if we can all like you said, everybody's rowing in the same direction and we can row harder and we can we can pull more and our brand has more value, then everybody has more value. And if you're building a business to sell it, a franchise brand that has big value means big dollars upon exit. Think about like Massage Envy or Planet Fitness. These franchisees are cashing out for big multiples <laughs> yeah. because the brand equity has is so high. That's what that means. That's how it begins. One guy yeah. who figures something out and is willing to share it. It's like a giant mastermind group. That, But everyone's in the same industry. They're learning from each other. They're pushing in the same direction and they're rooting for your success, not trying to sabotage it. And it's... It's a different environment than that corporate world. Okay, so you have this differentiator of servicing the blinds, which I know because I work with other different blind franchises, they are purely focused on just selling the product. So let's talk about this point of differentiation and really emphasize because you just said something very important. In a, in a tougher economic time, you have a solution. Your franchisees yeah. can still make money because they're there on service. And what happens when you show up on a service call? I'm imagining there's a lot of goodwill. <laughs> there's a ton of goodwill that leads not only during that appointment, but then you've now picked up a new customer. And so when the money loosens back up, they tend to come back. So, uh, you know, a couple, couple antidotal stories through that 2008 to 2010 recession. Our profitability in 2007 at 90-10 split was only 10,000 more than being half the volume at a 50-50 split. Wow, so the margin on service is way higher. Like in the industry, right? Like the car dealership doesn't make its money when it sells the car, it sells the car to get you in the garage. It's hard on your ego, but it's not hard on your checkbook. And that matters because right. in the end, it's what's left. Um, 
And so we've seen this twice. Now, we've been through both these recessions, the 9-11 recession, the housing bubble, um, and they occurred for different reasons. Even the tumultuous time that we're in now or the tightening that we're feeling now, it's even a different reason. This is a disposable income recession, not a lending recession that was in 2008 through 10. But to your point, we have a re- like, I don't look forward to a recession, but I'm not afraid of one either. I know exactly what's going to happen. And so we're going to pick up customers when other companies are, are struggling. And then when the money comes back, now we have a bigger customer base than we started the whole problem with. You know, tough times create opportunity if you're willing to find the solution, right? Because some people won't be. Some people will put their head in the sand. We saw that in 2020. It was adapt or die. Look, this very YouTube channel is an adaptation, right? Because I used to travel and host live events and then I couldn't. And so I turned on the camera and I'll never have to travel again. This is the greatest adaptation (laughs) ever for me, all thanks to not being able to travel. So, you know, as business owners, the the question that I'm, I'm asked constantly by candidates, you know, is now the right time to be thinking about starting a business? And I said, is the dream in your heart? Because if it is, it's time to go. The dream isn't going to wait. It'll just die stillborn if you don't act on it. And the reality is, if you're planning to become a business owner, you're going to, you can't control the economy. So if you're going to do this for 10 years, the economy is going to be able to do what it's got to do. And you have yeah. to be able to pivot and adapt. But here's the thing. This guy is telling you, when you own a franchise, you're not trying to solve the problem by yourself. You're in this situation, you're partnered with a franchisor been there, done that, have proof to show, we know how to help you through it. That's why you invest in a franchise. That's one of the reasons, right? You're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. So when did you start your, turn your business from family business to knowing we have something that we can franchise? When did that happen, Kelsey? Well, I'm kind of the dreamer. I'm the oldest brother. I'm the deep, the, the guy always the head in the clouds. And I was daydreaming about franchising 10 years before we did it. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, but my parents were always the ones at the register. And I knew that there was opportunity and and things that we gained because of that. But I also knew there was a cost. Like when we were on vacation, I knew how much the vacation was, but I also knew how much we weren't making because my parents were vocal about money. You know, money was a thing in our house that was open conversation. And so I knew that I didn't want to grow up at the register. I knew that we needed to build an empire or I was going to be there forever because I fully intended to be in business for myself. And as I said in the beginning, really it came down to, do you build company stores through to scale that way? Or do you let other people learn from your experiences and grow that way? And, you know, I, I work shoulder to shoulder with my brothers. I have for 17 years, literally worked shoulder to shoulder for 17 years. And so early on, we learned that we enjoyed it. It was a strength, not a weakness. But guess who's the CEO? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) guess who is the CEO? (laughs) Okay, so side side note. So back in the day, right, we're all in our like mid to late twenties. We're trying to figure out the pecking order, and if I wanted to push my brother Chris's buttons, you know, that's the beauty of working with your families. You know exactly what button to push. (laughs) So if I was tired of listening to him and I just wanted to set him off, then no matter what we're talking about, I would just tell him, "I'll remember that when I sign your paychecks." I love how boys always have to find the pecking order, no matter whether I have, I'm a mom of two boys, whether they're, you know, seven or eight years old or 30 or 40 or 50 years old, it's always a pecking order. Oh, <laughs> and always. the people who the are, iron, are always getting harassed. 
<laughs> yep. The irony is once he started taking over the finances, he started signing my checks and he made sure he knew it. So <laughs> yeah, we moved to direct deposit. So I didn't have to listen to that anymore. <laughs> Take him off signing your check. <laughs> yes. Get that signature off there every week. Here you go, buddy. We were talking about when you turned your business in, when you decided, you know, you, so you decided 10 years earlier, but when did it officially happen? So we franchised the business, uh, August, 2014, uh, it took us five and a half months to get the first franchise owner, right? Every, every brand that starts franchising, you need those guinea pigs. You need those early adopters. Um, and, and then it just began to roll. We really began to launch a new franchise on average about one a month for the next six years. And it's been, it's been a great run, but we had to learn what it meant to be a franchise. Uh, that wasn't like, they don't teach you that in the books. Well, it's the same thing when people sign up to be a franchisee. Yes, you're going to get training, but there's still, you know, Kim Daly loves to say experience is really the only teacher. Like I can tell you, but until you go do it, it's like a whole nother level of learning, right? So, but especially turning your business from a family business into a franchise. And now, you know, it's one thing to be doing the work. Now it's another thing to be training other people on how to do the work, right? Who don't have that same dream or you know, all that experience and you're trying to like make up for all of that in training manuals. So there's a lot to turning your business into a franchise. It's, it's no small feat. And then to make it a successful one that goes on to, you know, open how many franchise, how many franchisees do you have today? Well, we have 65 franchise owners. We have 106 territories. So depending on how you count it. Amazing. And you you guys know, if you're schooled by Kim Daly, that 100 units is about the stabilizing point for a franchise. So he's hit his stabilizing point. He's in his stride, right? Prior to that, I always tell my people, look, a startup franchise with less than 100 territories is nothing more than a startup business, right? So they're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. And there's a lot to learn as a franchisor. So it's just honest to say we're going to – and even as you continue to grow, you're going to continue to make mistakes, right? I mean, franchisors aren't perfect. One of the best parts about our journey is it, it's been interesting that our emotional journey in building the franchise, training people, trusting them, coaching them, you know, as, as a franchisor to franchisee, it is the exact same emotional journey that our franchisees go through because they first become the center of the wheel, the all and the everything. And then as they grow, if they want to get past that cash register position, they have to go through that same emotional journey. So it's been really interesting because we've grown up with franchisees literally together on the same emotional journey. We can talk about it. We, we kind of lean on each other sometimes. And the ones that are successful are having great days. I, I can lean on them and I get to provide a lot of emotional support in that process as well. Um, but being here early, granted before the hundred mark and being a founder that was from the industry and, you know, like it was my business, I didn't get hired to this position that trust element and letting other people doing and trusting them to wear your logo and treat it right. Like a franchise owner goes through the exact same struggles. It's, it's been a great journey to walk with them for it. Hey, Daily Coach fans, if you're inspired by this conversation, I invite you to email me right now to explore this franchise opportunity. My email is inquire at kimdaily.tv.
A lot of people I work with are excited for the leverage of a team of people, but then also like, oh my God, how am I going to find those people? And how am I going to trust them to go treat my customers right and do it the way I would do it? So here's a franchisor that that's saying, you know, look, I, I totally get it because I'm there with you. I've been there with you and, and grown through that. I want to go back to something you said. I didn't want to interrupt you. I think it's a beautiful thing. Like there is some statistic out there that says that children of entrepreneurs have a much higher likelihood of going on to become entrepreneurs themselves. I mean, that's certainly my case. It's your case. But like what I love about this story with you and your mother is she had a dream and she changed her entire family from that dream. And as you grew up in her dream, you developed your own dream and your dream was bigger than her dream, but that's amazing. Like that's like a blessing to your mom, right? That you had to yeah. talk her into letting you take it from where she got it to like the next level. I mean, that's just like generational growth. And so imagine if you take this business and you have children, you and your brothers, and your sons or daughters take the business and they can take it to the next level. I mean, when we talk about like, why do you want to own a business, Kelsey? Like, you know, we, 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 in this world, we're not selling franchises. We're finding people and we're identifying their motivations and we're trying to make connections. I'm trying to connect the, the franchisee to people like you. And that connection is that legacy, if that's the connection, this is a beautiful franchise for, for someone to be a part of because the entire company has been built on that legacy. So on if you're out legacy. there and you're like, yeah. yeah, my motivation is to build something that I can leave for my kids. Here's a franchisor who's the beneficiary of what his mother built, who's helping other people to then go build their own legacy for their families. And maybe one day building something that he's able to pass on to his kids. And that's nothing to like, just like smirk at. That's pretty strong motivation for a lot of people, you know? People will say, Kim, I'm not really doing it for money. Yes, some amount of money is important. It's an investment. I need money. We all need money to live. But like the real goal of this is, you know, a legacy or waking up and enjoying what I do every day or building to where I have that freedom and control and stability, right? Yeah. These are these are the drivers. And it sounds like as a as a business owner and now as a franchisor, you've gone through those same growth curves because you were telling me before we hit record that you used to do everything, right? You were, what are that, what's that expression? The center of the dishwasher, wheel. Dishwasher, the chief bottle oh, washer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've had to learn how to let go of the reins as you've staffed up your corporate environment. Share some of that. Well, so in there definitely has been a journey in that. We've had to do that. But I, I want to kind of circle back to what you're talking about, about the legacy and how I'm going to sidestep the opportunity for self-promotion here because I we look at it like we're teaching a mindset and a skill set because the widget, Bloom and Blinds, is a widget, right? It's a path to getting out of that employee mindset. It's a path to teaching your kids how to think beyond themselves and dream about what could be and chase it. There's a song out right now that says, um, you got to chase your dreams because they won't chase you back. And that lyric has been with me ever since I heard that. I, I thought it was the coolest thing. So we absolutely focus on doing it within our environment because that's what we know. But a franchise owner with us, the, our coaching and our, our mentality is 
learn how to do it. Running a business, making money, getting beyond your expectations, that's a mindset and a skill set. The widget itself, whether you buy a Bloom and Blinds or a sandwich shop, it's still going to be contained by your mindset. And so we really like to focus on that. We're just a widget, to be honest. Yep. So on that note, what kind of owner, like who's your ideal candidate? Who are you looking for? Yeah, it's taken us a while to figure that out. And that's really part of the learning curve of being a franchisor is having enough repetition and enough people come through the system to help identify the strengths and weaknesses. By the best summary for it is I love someone who's mildly entrepreneurial. It takes an entrepreneurial spirit to get there, but they can't be overly ambitious. And so we kind of relate this back to systems and processes. I would be a terrible franchise owner or franchisee because you're going to show me a system and process and I'm going to naturally assume that I can make it better. That's just in my mind. I'm going to bend it, break it. I'm going to try and take a square and turn it into a circle. That's my nature. That's Um, so funny. So I would look at systems and processes as a personal limiter, but there are tons of really great franchise candidates who look at systems and processes as a point of strength where they know they can, yeah, they can leverage. (laughs) I was just going to use that word. You can leverage all of this experience all the time, heartbreak, money, success and victories. And then you still get to put your personal spin on it. Like you can still make it yours, but you're willing to stand on top of the shoulders of the people who built it before you. And, and now you can see higher and farther. And Mm -hmm. so mentality on that is a major piece for us. And I think it should be for anyone looking at a franchise period. Um, Mm -hmm. beyond that, uh, we've got such a variety that are really successful. I mean, it doesn't take a salesperson, but it does take a people person in this business. We are working with people in their homes, making them beautiful, changing the feeling. You talked about how, you know, like everyone needs window coverings. If you calculated how much square footage of your walls are covered by windows, I mean, that's a massive percentage of your, you know, visible space inside your house. Yep. Um, so you, you need to help people daydream. So you need a presenter. Are not going to cut it, <laughs> right? Right. But I, I would put Maybe up if, if, I, if I couldn't buy groceries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I, I need someone who wants a mentor. That's another major piece. Is we have a heart of a teacher. I want to take all this information. If you just want to buy the logo and be left alone, we're not a good fit. You're going to break my heart. Because I have so much to give that I want to give. That's why we built this. And I need someone who enjoys a mentor, who values it and is coachable. And if I fail you and, and you stop listening, fine, I earn that. But until I fail you, please let me help you do this better, faster, easier. And want it. And if you can, we're going to be a great fit. Beyond that, like I don't need someone who's super handy. What we do is like playing with giant Legos. It's really not that complicated. Um, the big, the most objections are around the physical aspects of repair or install. And the truth is this yep. business is way more mental than it is physical. There's a like lot. every business, almost every business, Kelsey. Sure. So in, in your business, um, tell the listeners a little bit about the setup. Uh, like what's the average kind of investment? And are you operating from a home-based office or are you looking for um, somebody to have an office outside of their home? Okay. So we, we have two major models. So I'll start with uh, how we began, which is the owner-operator model. Often the generic term is chuck in a truck. That kind of yeah. sounds derogatory, but it, it, the explanation is that you're the business, right? So it's typically a home-based business. 
we don't need a storefront. Even if you scale, we still don't do storefronts or expensive real estate. It's not necessary in today's world. Um, and so the owner operator has a van. It's fully stocked with everything you need. Um, we're, we've automated the marketing process. So the leads come into our national call center. We book the appointments. They show up on your schedule. You go love on the customer, politely extract as much as humanly possible, and then honor your commitments. And then when you're done, you go to the next appointment and you rinse and repeat. And if you want to scale out of that, that's totally doable. We'll help you with the recipe. But if you just want to make a really nice income and control your day, then that's certainly possible too. On a more scalable side, we have somebody who's going to have technicians out on the road. And they are either the general manager of the business, or they may even be one step removed. Maybe they hire a general manager who manages the technicians. Um, even then, you're still not in a retail space. You don't have a showroom. You may have a commercial warehouse or a place where the business exists. Because you probably don't want all those people in your house at 7 in the morning. Just guessing. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So uh, you're not carrying inventory. You're ordering direct from right. your distributors. Yep. And the entire awesome. industry works that way. So there's no competitive or, uh, advantage or disadvantage. It's all just in time. No inventory. Uh, no money sitting on the shelves collecting dust. Yeah. Um, no accounts receivable. I mean, if someone mm -hmm. places an order, they're, yeah, they're giving you a deposit and then you fulfill and then you get paid the rest. Yeah. And the best part is in this industry, we're typically a net 15 or a net 30 for the back, for the factory from the point it's shipped to us. Well, it's two day ground. So we're getting it and installing it and being paid in full before we pay for the product. So we're playing with house money the whole time. It makes cash flow a lot easier. And so I, I guess we'll, to finish that conversation, I guess going in, entry point will vary depending on whether you're the owner-operator model or coming in as a more executive operator, which is probably going to need a little more cash to do because you're going to be you know, putting people in place and scaling faster. Yep. So on an owner-operator, you're looking somewhere in the ballpark of $100,000 between territory, setup, expenses, working capital. Like That's kind of your baseline point. Um, yep. Whether you have it in your back pocket or you borrow it from somebody, it's going to take about that much. You start scaling up and you start getting into three or four territories and another employee on staff right away because you expect to get busy. You know, you could be in the two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollar range if you have a nice big bucket of money for a financial runway, and we do require that for your own protection. So that you may yeah. not, you're not spending all that money. I just want to make sure you have access to it. Sure. Yeah, but you're going to need that if you want to scale that seven plus seven figure plus business, right? You need that infrastructure because that's the leverage that allows you more vans on the road, more people out in people's homes means more revenue coming in. So it takes yeah. money to make money. Yeah, yeah. right. I love this story. I love the blind industry. You know, uh, for 20 years, I've been a franchise consultant. The Window covering industry has been very good to Kim Daly and a lot of my franchisees over the years. So uh, I can 100% validate this story all day long. Um, are there any territories in the country that you're still like wide open that you're that you're like, oh, man, we really want to get an owner here? So because we're new and we've only got 62 owners, 65 owners across the U.S., there are just like almost every major suburban metro, which is really our our land of milk and honey, right? Like I can make money in rural environments. I can make money in urban environments, but the best environment is the single family suburban soccer mom driving a Tahoe. Like that's my, that's my milk and honey. That's um, your Mecca. That's my Mecca, right? So uh, major metros, the only one that we have sold out is Denver. 
that all of Denver Metro is covered. But I mean, there are, I mean, we're located in Dallas. So even Dallas has really good territories left. Um, like major markets that I would just scream for somebody, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, Raleigh, um, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, uh, Sacramento, Portland. I mean, it, again, you think major metro markets, I have space. That's amazing. That's a that's a consultant's dream. I know. Right it's there. like, <laughs> <Sorry>. Empty territory. <laughs> <laughs> it's open. Yeah. Kelsey, yeah, you've been an amazing guest, and I love this story. I think people clearly understand why what differentiates Bloomin' Blinds, and also that differentiator is perhaps what saves you in an uncertain economy. True? Yeah, there's no perhaps about it. It's been time-tested twice. We know exactly what's going to happen. So yes, it's definitely true. So if you're a candidate out there and you're a little bit worried about if there's a recession coming or if we're in one, but you're still desiring to own your financial future, this Bloomin' Blinds franchise might be something that we could talk about. If this conversation has inspired you and you would like to begin learning about this company or any other company that The Daily Coach works with, please follow the email on the screen right now or email me directly at inquire at kimdaily.tv. That's inquire at kimdaily.tv. Kelsey, thank you for being my very special guest today and sharing your story. I really enjoyed myself. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much. Until next time, my name is Kim Daly, and I want to be your daily coach. If you found this inspiring, please contact me at inquire at kimdaily.tv. My consulting services are totally free to you. Again, that email is inquire at kimdaily.tv. I can't wait to hear from you.